Hello and welcome to the first broadcast installment of AZ Law here on member-supported Sun Sounds of Arizona. I'm your volunteer reader, Paul Wyke, and we'll be exploring Arizona's legal and judicial system in this new program. Our primary focus will be articles about opinions from the Arizona Supreme Court, but we will also be keeping our eyes open for interesting decisions from Arizona's lower courts and from the U.S. Supreme Court and other federal courts. We'll include some original reporting on relevant topics, which will also be published on a new website arizonaslaw.org. Some cases will be criminal, some constitutional, some civil, and we'll be keeping a special watch for articles and opinions that may affect our Sun Sounds of Arizona community. We'll have extras that may not always fit into our half-hour Sun Sounds program, the judges' opinions, interviews with attorneys or judges, etc. We'll let you know when to visit sunsounds.org to listen to those on-demand extras. I hope that I'm the ideal person to be hosting this program. I started out as a news reporter and covered some significant court proceedings during that time. In fact, that's what led me towards a long and satisfying career in law. I've now been volunteering here at Sun Sounds for several years, and this will allow me to combine my interests and skills, my careers, and my passions. So let's get right to it. Our first article is from a week or so ago. Uh, comes from the Phoenix New Times. Marijuana concentrates okay for patients, Arizona Supreme Court rules. It's reported by Ray Stern. The Arizona medical marijuana community and business industry can finally exhale. The state Supreme Court decided a crucial appeal by siding 7-0 to zero with patients and state voters on marijuana resin ex- extracts. Parties in the case of State of Arizona versus Rodney Christopher Jones received word that Jones had won his appeal. Quote, we hold that Arizona Medical Marijuana Act's definition of marijuana includes both its dried leaf and flower form and extracted resin, including hashish, the court stated in that unanimous ruling. The positive ruling for the medical marijuana industry means no change. Vape pen cartridges, concentrates like shatter and wax, infused food and drinks, patches, tinctures, and topicals will not be banned as had been feared. The question of whether AMA, the Medical Marijuana Act, applies to resin extracts is now settled. If the high court had ruled instead that the voter-approved 2010 Arizona Medical Marijuana Act did not cover extracts, some of the most popular and medically efficacious products would have been taken from dispensary shelves and relegated to felony status. The suspense over what the state Supreme Court would do had many patients and business operators in the industry on edge for nearly a year, ever since the State Court of Appeals upheld the conviction of marijuana patient Rodney Jones for possession of hashish. The tension over resin had begun long before that, actually, Disputes between the patients and law enforcement trace back nearly all the way to 2010 when voters approved the state medical marijuana program. Soon after that law went into effect, Maricopa County Attorney Bill Montgomery and Yavapai County Attorney Sheila Polk took the position that the law did not cover the THC-bearing resin that can be extracted from marijuana and consumed independently, often in food, drinks, or vaporizers. Decades-old Arizona law defines marijuana and extract resin separately in state statute, with the latter unscientifically termed as a narcotic called cannabis. While all marijuana is a felony in Arizona for non-patients, people who possess cannabis resin and products containing it are subject to a more serious felony prosecution with greater penalties. The medical marijuana law does not specifically exclude patients from prosecution in resin cases, which created the loophole.
hole exploited by Montgomery and Polk. They decided that if a patient was in possession of cannabis resin, the medical marijuana law protections did not apply. Yet the 2010 law does seem to cover extracts by defining marijuana as the dried flowers of the marijuana plant and any mixture or preparation thereof. After the parents of an epileptic child challenged Montgomery's position with a court action, Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Catherine Cooper ruled that patients could legally buy and use extracts, but that ruling did not apply statewide. Jones was indicted in Yavapai County a few weeks after Cooper's ruling. Police there found Jones with 1.4 grams of hashish in a jar in his backpack. Jones did present his valid medical marijuana card, but cops arrested him anyway, and the Yavapai County Attorney's Office charged him with possession of narcotics. Already on probation for a 2012 conviction for attempted involving a, a minor in a drug offense, Jones was sentenced in 2014 to two and a half years for possession of the hashish, possession of paraphernalia, and a violation of his probation, court records show. His lawyer, Craig Williams, filed a motion to dismiss the case based on Jones's medical marijuana patient status, but Polk filed a counter motion, arguing that AMA had not legalized hashish. He did spend two and a half years in prison, finally being released in mid-2017. In June of last year, the Arizona Court of Appeals finally issued its long-awaited ruling in Jones's appeal. In a two-to-one decision, the court upheld the conviction. That news hit the Arizona cannabis scene like a butane explosion. Concentrates have become a large, crucial part of the medical marijuana dispensary business. Some dispensary operators describe the potential banning of concentrates as a doomsday scenario for the industry. Patients worried that medicine that works for them would be available only on the black market. Both dispensaries and patients, in a flagrant display of civil disobedience, completely ignored the appeals court ruling, continuing to manufacture, sell, purchase, and consume the vape cartridges, infused sodas, anti-pain creams, dabable shatter, and other products with the THC extracts. Yet both before and after the ruling, police and prosecutors in Yavapai County continued to work together to hassle medical marijuana patients for possession of the extracts. Apparently solely due to the anti-marijuana stance by Polk and her supporters in the county. While Polk never got up the nerve to raid the dispensaries in her county for the products with extracts that they sold, she did direct cops to go after people who were less likely or able to challenge the prosecutions. More patients in Yavapai County faced potential felony charges for products they bought in dispensaries, with several taking plea deals that resulted in convictions. Polk's prosecutions for extracts were needlessly painful experiences for patients and farcical policy for the county. Patients typically were allowed to take a drug treatment program in lieu of prosecution, but because they were medical marijuana patients, the patients were allowed to pass the program in spite of regular urine tests that showed that they were using marijuana. The state currently has just over 200,000 people participating in the medical marijuana program, including more than 196,000 patients served by about 130 dispensaries. Patients bought two and a half tons of edibles in 2018, according to state records, plus another two and a half tons of products containing concentrates like vape cartridges.
The state Supreme Court heard the oral arguments in the Jones case in March. As the opinion states, the ruling came down to basic terms. The court said, AMA defines marijuana as all parts of the plant. The word all, one of the most comprehensive words in the English language, means exactly that. Taken together, all parts refers to all constituent elements of the marijuana plant. And the fact that the resin must first be extracted from the plant reflects that it is part of the plant. That's from the opinion. The court also noted that patients and dispensary companies under the law are immunized from prosecution in regard to what it said, the acquisition, possession, cultivation, manufacture, use, administration, delivery, transfer, or transportation of marijuana or paraphernalia relating to the administration of marijuana to treat or alleviate a registered qualifying patient's debilitating medical condition. And manufacture clearly means extracting resin from the plants. In addition, the ruling settled the question raised by Polk's office of whether dispensaries and patients could consider two and a half ounces of resin extracts legal under the law, which allows possession of two and a half ounces of marijuana. The court ruled that the possession limit was based on the amount of flour needed to create a certain amount of extract. Amma's, it said, Amma's weight limitation is based on flour, regardless of the weight of the product that is manufactured from those flours. We therefore reverse the trial court's ruling, denying Jones's motion to dismiss, vacate the Court of Appeals' opinion, and vacate Jones's convictions and sentences, the court continued. A statement from the ACLU said the court got it right. The ruling means that qualifying patients no longer have to fear being prosecuted for using their medicine in the form most helpful. And Jones's attorney, Rob Mandel, said, We are gratified that the Arizona Supreme Court has honored the intent of the electorate to make marijuana in any form available to AMA-compliant patients. And that was the article from Ray Stern headlined, Marijuana Concentrates Okay for Patients, according to the Arizona Supreme Court's ruling. And here are a couple of updates on Arizona law news and court cases that we've been following on AZ Law. Arizona's new judge on the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals will be hearing her first case this coming week, and it actually has a connection to an Arizona case. Bridget Beatty was nominated to the Ninth Circuit by President Donald Trump, and she was confirmed a couple of months ago by an overwhelming bipartisan majority, the only appellate judge to be so confirmed this year. She was previously a U.S. magistrate judge here in Phoenix until taking her new position in April. Her first case now goes to oral argument this Tuesday. It's a Nevada case, and she's part of a larger panel of Ninth Circuit judges rehearing it. The connection to an Arizona case just popped up this month, however, However, Arizona's relatively old law prohibiting the state from doing business with companies that are boycotting Israel has been challenged in court. The lower court held that the law unconstitutionally restricted the First Amendment rights of an individual who was not permitted to speak at ASU, and the case is now before the Ninth Circuit. Arizona revised the law this past legislative session, and the state asked the court, the Ninth Circuit Court, to find that the appeal is now moot or not applicable. Instead, earlier this month, the court decided to simply postpone the oral argument on Arizona's law until there is a final decision on the Nevada case, the one that Judge Beatty and the other judges are hearing this week. Also this coming week, 
According, and this is from our AZ Law reporting, the U.S. Supreme Court will be discussing whether or not to permit Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich to proceed with his lawsuit against the state of California. In a story first reported by AZ Law, Mark Burnovich is asking the highest court in the land to permit the state to sue neighboring California for stolen tax revenues. The proposed complaint alleges that California unconstitutionally taxes some Arizona LLCs for doing business in California, even if that LLC is only an investor in another company that does business in the Golden State. The U.S. Constitution makes the U.S. Supreme Court the initial and the only court when one state is suing another. And Arizona filed its request for permission to file the complaint back in March. Arizona cites examples of California taxing Arizona LLCs and even trying to levy against Arizona banks to collect those taxes. Arizona estimates that California's quote-unquote extraordinarily aggressive policies of of costing Arizona nearly $500,000 per year in lost tax revenues because those businesses pay California and then deduct it from their Arizona taxes. Arizona's lawsuit would also seek refunds from California to the more than 13,000 Arizona LLCs that pay more than $10 million per year to California. And yes, Arizona believes that other states and their LLCs have been similarly affected. The highest court will consider this week whether or not to permit that case to go forward. Next, let's read uh, another U.S. Supreme Court, uh, an article about a U.S. Supreme Court decision. It is from the Arizona Republic. Edward Moreno reports, U.S. Supreme Court to hear Chandler death penalty case. Here's the article. The U.S. Supreme Court announced on Monday that it will hear the death penalty case of a man convicted of murder in Arizona. That's Monday this past week, actually. The plaintiff in McKinney v. Arizona is current death row inmate James Aaron McKinney. McKinney was convicted of murdering Christine Mertens in her Chandler home during a robbery and then doing the same to Jim McLean 13 days later in March of 1991. He was sentenced to death in 1993. A panel of the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals overturned that sentence just in 2015, ruling that the Arizona Supreme Court had not properly weighed mitigating factors. McKinney's attorneys have argued that the sentencing judge did not consider McKinney's post-traumatic stress disorder due to his severe child abuse, which could have resulted in a lesser sentence. The case before the Supreme Court now will determine whether Supreme Court rulings that have changed death penalty cases since McKinney's initial sentencing should be applied to him, and subsequently other death row inmates convicted before 2002. McKinney's accomplice, Charles Headland, had his death sentence overturned for the same reason in 2016. In 2002, the ruling in Ring v. Arizona held that the Sixth Amendment requires a jury to find the aggravating factors necessary for imposing the death penalty. In 2015, the Ninth Circuit ruled that Arizona's causal nexus rule unconstitutional. The rule requires any mitigating evidence, such as mental illness or post-traumatic stress disorder, to be directly tied to the crime committed in order to be considered in sentencing. Last year, the Supreme Court refused to consider a case challenging the constitutionality of Arizona's death penalty statute, which petitioners argued is overly broad. According to the Arizona Department of Corrections, there are currently 116 inmates on Arizona's death row. 
And that was from Edward Moreno in the Arizona Republic. The following day, this opinion uh, article was posted in the Arizona Republic by Joanna Allhands. Let's read that briefly. Her headline is, U.S. Supreme Court ruling could mean life or death for at least 20 Arizona inmates. James McKinney's been on death row since 1993 for brutally murdering two people in Chandler, but the next year, the U.S. Supreme Court, but ne- this next year, the U.S. Supreme Court could have a hand in whether he lives or dies, and that ruling could also impact at least 20 other death penalty cases. That's nearly one in five inmates on Arizona's death row. Stay tuned, this case could easily produce a new wrinkle in the state's death penalty debate. McKinney and his half-brother, Charles Headland, robbed Christine Mertens and Jim McLean in 1991. Mertens was savagely beaten, stabbed, and then shot for $120. Not two weeks later, McLean was shot in the back of the head while he slept, all for a pocket watch, three handguns, and McLean's car. A court found McKinney pulled the trigger and sentenced him to death. But it also excluded the information that McKinney had been abused as a child and was suffering from PTSD. That's because from 1989 to 2005, Arizona used something called a causal nexus rule. Basically, it meant that judges could only use information to impose more lenient sentences if that information was directly related to the case. The court accepted that McKinney had a horrific childhood and suffered from PTSD, but determined it did not directly impact his decision, after a string of other robberies, to murder those two innocent people in their homes for money. McKinney argued that this likely led to a more stringent sentence, and years later, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed, striking Arizona's causal nexus rule as unconstitutional. The state attempted to appeal that ruling, but the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear that case, effectively determining that McKinney had to be resentenced. But there's been legal wrangling ever since over how to handle his case. Ironically, McKinney's half-brother argued before an appeals court in 2016 that his childhood and PTSD should have been considered in his role in these murders, and his death sentence was overturned. So the U.S. Supreme Court agreed this week to step in. It will determine in its next session whether current law must be used in these resentencing procedures as opposed to that causal nexus rule that existed at the time he was sentenced. It also will weigh in on whether these cases must go back to a trial court or whether they can be reviewed, and they meaning all the other cases, the other 20 or so death penalty cases, or whether they can be reviewed by an appellate court. And that was Joanna Allhand's opinion column in the Arizona Republic, headlined, U.S. Supreme Court ruling could mean life or death for at least 20 Arizona inmates. Well, next, let's turn to this article from Howard Fisher from Capital Media Media Services. Court ruling allows Arizona farmers to have land valued at lower tax rates. The Arizona Court of Appeals ruled this past week that farmers only need to submit an affidavit that they expect to make a profit someday in order to have their land classified as agricultural for tax purposes. The mere claim by a farmer or rancher of an intent to make a profit someday is enough to qualify that property for the tax break, the state Court of Appeals ruled. In a ruling released Tuesday, this past Tuesday, judges rejected arguments by Pinal County Assessor 
Douglas Wolf that landowners should have to provide more than a simple assertion of a reasonable expectation of a profit in the future to have the property classified as agricultural. Judge Kent Catani, writing for the unanimous three-judge panel, said a 2012 law pushed through by ranching interests makes the affidavit sufficient. Catani also said the fact the law was used for ranching in just three out of the five prior years does not mean it loses that agricultural classification, again citing the way the legislature crafted the law. The ruling is more than just academic. It most immediately helps the owners of about 2,000 acres escape the possibility of having their property classified as vacant land, a classification that would require them to pay more in taxes. And it also means that other ranchers elsewhere in the state can now depend on that same ruling to argue that their mere expectation that they will make a profit is sufficient to preserve their lower-cost agricultural classification. There's another bit of fallout as well. Property taxes for most jurisdictions are a zero-sum gain, with local governments entitled to raise a set amount of money. That means they divide the anticipated tax revenues into the total assessed valuation of the area to come up with the tax rate. So if some landowners have a lower assessment, that lowers the district's overall valuation, and that, in turn, requires a higher tax rate on all of the remaining properties. There was no immediate response from Wolf through his attorney, but Kevin McCarthy, president of the Arizona Tax Research Association, said the ruling makes sense. He said assessors are required to follow state law on how property is valued and not to impose new rules even if they think the system is unfair. At issue is about 2,000 acres of cattle grazing land in Pinal County, located on multiple non-contiguous parcels owned by a limited liability company. For the 2014 tax year, the assessor classified that property as vacant land, and that means it was valued at what the land would bring in a sale. But the state tax court reversed that classification, saying the property is entitled to be declared agricultural. That means its value for tax purposes is set at the amount of income that it produces, a figure that can be a lot less, especially in developing areas where the value of vacant land is increasing. In an appeal, the county did acknowledge that the owner signed an affidavit saying the property is actively producing with an expectation of profit. And that is all the 2012 law supported by agricultural interests requires. But attorney Roberto Livesey, representing the county, argued that could not have possibly been what the legislature intended, saying it creates the absurd result of concluding that the legislature intended that even a false affidavit would preclude presentation of evidence showing that the special tax treatment was improper. She also said it also impermissibly binds the courts and creates an inequity that allows some landowners to gain an unfair tax advantage. Catani and his colleagues were not buying it. The opinion says, these arguments are unavailing in the face of clear and mandatory statutory language stating that the reasonable expectation of operation profit requirement to get the tax break shall be satisfied if the owner signs and submits the appropriate affidavit. Emphasis on the word shall. Anyway, Katani said the legislature has pretty much free reign in creating the conditions for landowners to obtain favorable tax treatment while also dictating what method shows compliance. In fact, he said the legislature could have chosen to give favorable tax treatment to all agricultural land without any requirement at all for owners to say that they reasonably expected to make a profit.
The judge also pointed out that there are penalties for property owners who provide false information, including the ability of assessors to go back and recoup taxes that should have been paid. Thus, if the county is concerned that a taxpayer has filed a fraudulent affidavit, the county can take remedial action, Katani wrote. But in classifying property for tax purposes, the county cannot ignore the directive of the law that the affidavit satisfies the reasonable expectation of operating profit requirement. The ruling comes even as lawmakers have further expanded the ability of farmers to keep their agricultural classification. In general, the law requires a showing that the land was used for farming or ranching for at least three of the prior five years, but lawmakers approved a new statute saying the agricultural classification remains without any time limit due to a reduction in available water supply. That change was specifically sought by Pinal farmers who noted that the drought contingency plan approved earlier this year will reduce their allocation of Colorado River water. And while they hope to drill new wells to replace at least some of that with groundwater, that process could take years. And that article from this week's court opinion was from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services. The headline, Court Ruling Allows Arizona Farmers to Have Land Valued at Lower Tax Rates. Well, let's finish up with this brief article that uh, we reported yesterday on ArizonasLaw.org. It is new from uh, the, the, let's see, this, the trial court level. An oct- the headline is October trial date set for Valley Teen facing terrorism and assault charges for allegedly supporting a, and pledging allegiance to ISIS. And new documents were released. Here's the article. An October 14th trial has been set for the terrorism and assault charges against 18-year-old Ismail Hamed. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Sally Schneider Duncan also ordered the release of more documents from the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office investigation. Those previously sealed reams of documents were released Friday afternoon. Hamed is charged with assisting ISIS by spreading its propaganda. On January 7th of 2019, he allegedly called 911 and swore allegiance to ISIS. He followed this by pulling a knife on an MCSO sergeant and hitting him with rocks. During the confrontation, Hamed was shot twice after following the sergeant back to his patrol truck. The newly released documents include the grand jury indictment, search warrants, and the incident report, including copies of text messages between Hamed and a friend discussing ISIS-supportive videos and more. The October trial date was set at a pre-trial conference held this past Tuesday. Well, and with that, we reach the end of this first broadcast of Arizona's Law. Your comments and suggestions to make the program better are welcome, definitely welcome, in fact, encouraged. Contact us at infosunsounds.org. I'm your volunteer reader and Arizona attorney, Paul Wyke, thanking you for tuning in and urging you to keep listening to member-supported Sun Sounds of Arizona. Mm-hmm.